Hi, my name is Kiki, and I'm inviting you to come with me as I take you on a journey of shocking truths and jaw-dropping revelations. A story of how one man's seeming good intention led millions down a path of death and destruction. Today I stand before you proud to be a servant of such a heroic people. Today I stand before you to proclaim that our heroic youth in the various fronts have turned the tide of this war. But in the words of Mr. Asika, the rebel leaders ought to know when enough is enough. They should call a halt to the shameless deception of innocent Igbos with reports of fictitious victories on the battlefronts. Have you ever wondered why history was expunged from the Nigerian curriculum? Get the facts on Biafra, the fall of a nation. On today's episode, we're going to look at how the now botched republic took shape how a simple declaration kind of spiraled into an unforgettable historical event. In the beginning, Biafra really started out from the fallout of an accord. A frustrated Lieutenant Colonel Ojuku began a systematic process during March all through to April of 1967 of severing all ties of the eastern region with Nigeria. First, he froze all official communications with Lagos. He then immediately disconnected the Eastern Regional Government's administration and their revenues from that of the federal governments. Something interesting then happened. On May the 26th in Ingu, the capital of the then Eastern Region, an emergency meeting of Ojuku's Special Advisory Committee of Chiefs and elders had reached a consensus that a secession was the right thing to do. The next day, that is, May the 27th, the consultative committee then mandated Konolojuku to declare at the earliest practicable date the eastern region of Nigeria a free, independent, and sovereign state by the name and title of the Republic of Biafra. We are dear France. We can never, never be Nigerians. Ever dear France. Never Nigeria. Oh, Biafra. Our own land. Oh, Biafra. For many Easterners within Biafra, this new nation was a dream come true, a true and real republic which the supreme power rests in the body of citizens entitled to vote. The name Biafra originated from the Bright of Biafra, which was a vast expanse of water that covered the continental shelf into which the river Niger emptied before flowing into the Gulf of Biafra. You should know that after the Biafran surrender, this body of water was then renamed to the Gulf of Guinea. The first capital of this new formed nation was Inugu, also known as the Coal City. When Inugu fell to the Nigerian army on October the 4th, 1967, the administrative capital was then moved to Umahia. That too was captured by the Nigerian troops 
on April the 22nd, 1969, which made the Biafran administrative capital move yet again to Oweri, the last administrative seat before the war ended in January 1970. The population of Biafra as of June 1967 was about 15 million people comprising of not just Igbos, although truth be told, they did make up 65% of the population. Other ethnic nationals resident in Biafra then were the Efiks, the Bibios, Ijaws, and Iqueris. Others included Andoni, Mbembe, Egbema, Degema, just to mention a few. The original layout of the Republic saw it divided into 11 administrative provinces and later was expanded to 20. Once the secession was declared, one of the first thing the new government did was to establish the Bank of Biafra. The Bank of Biafra was first cited in Inugu until it fell. The first denominations of the Biafran money was the five shillings and the one pound notes. A year later, 10, 5, and 1 pound, as well as the 10 and 5 shilling notes, were then issued. Now, this currency was widely accepted in the whole of Biafra, even though it was unavailable in large quantities. The Biafran pound, however, was not recognized as a legal tender beyond the Biafran borders, and so could not be used for foreign exchange. Now, the Biafran flag was inspiring. It had three horizontal bands with colors red, black, and green. The red was to represent the blood that was shed during the pogroms, while the black represented a systematic connection to the souls of the years past. The green, which is a common color in most African flags, represents Africa's abundant natural wealth and resources. The flag also had the rising golden sun, and its rays represented the 11 original provinces in the Republic. Land of the rising sun, we love and the Biafran National Anthem, Land of the Rising Sun, was originally gotten from a poem that was written by Nigeria's first president, Namdi Azikiwe, it was titled Onicha Doni Du, Land of the Rising Sun. This new nation's army had barely 2,000 troops at the beginning of the war, most of whom were former Nigerian army soldiers, Easterners that were based in Enugu, and other military bases in the East. Now, the Biafran weaponry was ingenious, to say the least. Why I say this is because there was an economic blockade that was enforced by the Gowon-led government, so genius innovations were quickly adopted and were then created by the Biafran scientists from the Research and Production Unit. These scientists created a great number of rockets, bombs and telecommunication gadgets, and even devised an admirable means to refine petroleum. These innovations, remember, were coming from people who were told by Europeans nonetheless that technologically, there would be heavy reliance on the British and indeed the West for a very, very long time. The most famously notorious of these inventions was the Biafran bomb called Ubunigui, 
The Ogbunigwe bomb struck great terror in the hearts of many Nigerian soldiers and was used generously by the Biafran army for the duration of the conflict. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do on this show, then please share with your friends, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes. But I'll see you on the next episode of Biafra, The Fall of a Nation, hosted by me, Kiki, from Jamit.fm.